pricing, financials, profit and loss statements, uh, those elements of businesses are always good things to lean into in uncertain times. We are Michael Vesey in London, England. And Jason Miles in Seattle, Washington. More importantly, you are the owner of a thriving online business and you want to become the best e-commerce leader you can be. We're here to get you there. For show notes with links and resources mentioned today and for other GC resources like downloads, just visit our blog, theecommerceleader.com. Today's sponsor is Eva, the most intelligent Amazon scaling toolkit online. Amazon sellers need exact, quick-to-read profit reports. Many sellers already pay a lot of money for these. Eva has world-class finance analytics with crystal-clear graphs included at no extra cost. Eva serves hundreds of seven-figure sellers, averaging a 51% increase in profits. To get a 15-day free trial, just go to amazingfba.com forward slash Eva. That's amazingfba.com forward slash E-V-A. There is a Chinese curse that says, may you live in interesting times. The war in Ukraine is the latest and the most dramatic geopolitical event to hit world trade. So humanitarian and moral considerations aside, it's having an increasingly powerful effect on e-commerce. On the back of COVID in Europe and North America, and then add in China's zero COVID policy. And it's clear we have to address this topic head on as e-commerce leaders. So what we're going to try to do today is address how to even make sense of it and where this might be going. And then we'll look at how to actually solve it as e-commerce leaders to thrive or just even survive in these strange times. Jason, are you ready to dive into this topic? Yeah, this is a complicated one today. And uh, so I think we have a good conversation about it. But yeah, there's so many impacts on e-commerce right now right. because of the global uncertainties in many ways. Yeah, we could spend days on this conversation. I'm not sure yeah. how we're going to bring it to a short conclusion, but let's jump right. in together, man. Yeah, Absolutely. No, you're right. It's not easy. So let me ask you a question then. So I, I love the word geopolitics because for me, it conjures certain things up. But what does it mean for you if I say geopolitics? And does it sound even relevant to you as an e-commerce operator? Well, I try to keep my head in the sand, I guess you could say, to be honest, in many ways as it relates to geopolitics. What it means to me is just the interchange between countries and societies globally. And it has impact in all sorts of things. Currency, uh, markets being one thing, trade agreements and abilities being a different thing, shipping, logistics, those types of situations, and uh, all of it swirls together into a smorgasbord of opportunity or non-opportunity for us as uh, e-commerce sellers. And I think about the relationships of countries and their agreements together and peace and conflict and all of the stages in between. So yeah, I think I that informally it's how i look at it is just the relationships and the dynamics between countries yeah. yeah i think that's a pretty good definition i like that I, I guess i would include a few things that in addition to what you said movement of goods as inputs and movement of goods to consumers sometimes are different things aren't they but relationships also between governments and their business and consumer sector sort of internal things i don't know that's geopolitics but i guess it's something else we've got to take account of yeah um I'd like to start off by by thinking about what we 
how we even, as you say, it's a huge topic. What are the sort of things we can put our feet on and say we've got mm-hmm. some solid ground on which yeah. to have an understanding? I'm going to kick off with the things that I think are really important and then be interested to hear what you think are. I would say geography, as the word geo implies, is a pretty solid basis as a starting point. So the fact that America has very defensible coasts, has, you know, effectively uh, seas instead of lakes uh, protecting it, has lots of oil that it can access and is accessing and has a lot of farmland that it, it can and, and does use to grow a lot of food and be fairly self-sufficient for example has a huge effect on things so for me geography is really important and very stable because that doesn't essentially change and then demographics i think are also really important so if you've got a very Mm -hmm. aging population like in russia in germany europe generally that has a big effect on the labor market the cost of labor and that's fairly predictable as, as well so for me those would be the most important things to base things on what other factors would you think are important to even make sense of this stuff the most obvious one in the current conditions of uh, the whole ukraine russia conflict and the sanctions occurring is access to markets acts literal access to marketplaces access to things like the swift payment systems for resolving money payment transactions we have customers who have been contacting us regularly saying i can't purchase now i live in russia i can't purchase from your website what could i do and our heart goes out for them what can they do and how do we solve this and here we are just a small e-commerce operator in a relatively small niche and yet these global disturbances and problems and crises uh, are impacting our customers and i think that's a big one as well it's just literal access to payment systems and to marketplaces yeah even in the, the small niche you've got that doesn't mean just because it's small in the sense of it's a very specific market doesn't mean it isn't global now which i think is mm-hmm. why e-commerce mm-hmm has at its heart something very global it doesn't have to be but it often is Mm -hmm. because the internet is a fairly global system and suddenly of course we have the fact that things are also national and regional (laughs) coming back at us we've got the luxury of everything being Mm free-flowing and global it's almost be careful what you wish for we all built our models on the back of this idea that hey we can tap into a global marketplace we can find customers anywhere that people have access to the internet and that's a great thing for expanding your opportunities to sell but it also comes with real world consequences then when there are huge disturbances and challenges. Absolutely. And I think in a nutshell, you just nailed a lot of things that are true about the post-global order since 1945 broadly that's got more and more of the world plugged into the American protected, American-led system that I believe is breaking down. And uh, there are lots of fascinating books. If you really want to deep dive into this, because as you said, it's a short amount of time to deal with this, I would recommend very strongly books by Peter Zion, Z-E-I-H-A-N. Look at me saying American letters now. American who gets geopolitics, which is not that common. Americans tend to be very focused on America because it's a huge, rich country, but he he really gets it, I think. And, and his predictive power for this has been, I would say, astonishing. And the first book of his I read is, was published in 2014, and it predicted a war in 2022 thereabouts with Ukraine and Russia. So that's pretty exactly. amazing. That's right. Yeah. And he's, yeah. his basis is geography and demographics as a solid basis for understanding what drives this stuff. So yeah. if you want to deep dive into it, he's written three books, got fourth one coming out this summer. So let's get into the e-commerce side then. What do you think is the impact or what do you think, first of all, is happening that's relevant to e-commerce? Let's start with the demand side. Obviously, consumers wanting stuff but not being able to get it is one thing you've experienced. What about on the the other things on the consumer side? Well, I think the, the consumers have been very treated in the last 15 years on the growing simplicity of uh, access to goods at relatively low prices because manufacturing in in China made it possible for Amazon third-party sellers to scale so many things. And you just that market 
place by itself has been an incredible impact on the world. And the opportunity to just simply import things, get them on Amazon, sell them for a profit has created a massive ecosystem. And the customers appreciate that. We all, it's just, it, it is a technological marvel that you can have something off of Amazon in a couple hours to your doorstep. The origin of those items are critical to the storyline. And if they are generated from manufacturing in in China, that's obviously become complicated. The shipping crisis is not uh, abating. The, the ability to get product shipped is going to continue to be problematic from everything I'm seeing. It's not declining and it is going to mean that goods and service goods that we're used to getting quickly and easily as e-commerce sellers, our own products that we're reselling or whatever, we're going to have to find new sources for and customers are going to do a lot of trade-offs. There will be winners and losers in that new game. There are winners and losers in every game. And the smart e-commerce seller is thinking moves ahead to ask the question how we can position ourselves to, to survive in the changing world order, <laughs> to quote Ray Dalio's book title. And the real question is, how can we do that? And it goes to product options and sourcing. And it goes to uh, a pricing strategy and on. And so I think there are a lot of dynamics there on the uh, you know, customer side that are important for us to think through as we prepare for and try to understand what's happening in the global economy so you're thinking at many moves ahead in terms of even how to deal with this as well you're thinking about what we can do to solve it i suppose i'm still um at the stage of trying to <laughs> make sure we understand what on earth is going on in the first place so you mentioned the supply side so the consumer side i think two trends you mentioned the i suppose the, what i would call the supply side or the experience that the customers had the relative simplicity mm -hmm. of getting goods mm -hmm. increasingly fast and easy delivery increasingly low prices really relative to yeah relative to inflation i would say that on the demand well, just to side, be clear, I, we should yeah. probably define the terms, right? So supply side would we be should, the focus yeah. on the, sh the creation, shipping, logistics, and sale of the exactly items. Right. Yes. The demand side would be what the customer is expecting to receive, what the customer is wanting, how much they're wanting, how much they're willing to pay, all of the demand side questions. Exactly so, yes. Through, yeah. Exactly. So you've mentioned the supply side constraints, which I think are the most obvious constraints that we've experienced so far as, as e-commerce sellers. As you say, I don't think that's going away. I don't think it's necessarily going to be stable in terms of the shipping prices, for example. I, I know there's a lot of activity in the, the 10K Collective Mastermind, many of whom ship containers uh, around the world from China. So there's quite a lot of in-house data there. And we are seeing the averages come down in price from what they were at their peak maybe half the peak, but that probably means 5x or something, 500% increase on what it was in 2019 on average. And, and I don't think it's going to come back down to that. And I think there will be- That is astonishing. That there. is just obliteration yeah. of profit for e-commerce. For a lot of people, yeah. yeah. So that side's been very obvious. I think the zero, COVID feels like it's come and gone in, in the US, UK, Europe to some degree. At least governments are treating it that way. So economically, it's not constraining things with lockdowns. However, China really has the opposite policy. And I think because they don't really have a vaccine that works, as far as I can tell, against Omicron, and they don't have the, the national pride and their whole geopolitics uh, coming out of that, means that they can't really go to the Americans and buy a few billion doses of something that works, or for that matter, the Europeans. And th this put them in a bit of a cleft stick, I think. They can't politically admit that they've, their stuff doesn't work, but on the other hand, it doesn't, so they have to start, shut down. So I think that could go on for quite a long time, actually. Shutting down Shanghai, a city of 26 million people, is not a small thing, and, and I think that's not a one-off, sadly. Uh, so I think that could be a major supply side constraint, actually. Yeah. 
Um, yeah. One other thing, though, I think that the, on coming back to the demand side, I'd be interested in your take on this. I think, sadly, that most of us in e-commerce have really only experienced really broadly speaking apart from a bit of a blip around 2009 an upwards trend in demand from consumers and i fear that may be coming down based on the fact they'll be spending such a big percentage of their money particularly in the uk and and europe maybe less in the us but on food Mm -hmm. travel Mm -hmm. home heating that sort of thing that they just won't have the money to spend on a lot of items that they've been spending on at all or or very minimal what's your view on that the whole thing makes me feel like i need to brush up on econ 101 textbook from college days so okay how does this work again yes we're clear on the basic principles if there's a lack of supply the price is going to go up if there's with static demand if there's increasing demand price is going to go up if there's declining demand price is going to go down but the reality is i think what we have been treated with over the last 15 years is an easy for many items that customers have become uh, comfortable with in terms of price points. And the uh, the difficulty on the supply side is going to create scarcity and that's going to create pricing pressure and that's going to create a real volatile pricing, pricing, I guess you could say, scheme that is played out broadly by many sellers. And in, in the aggregate, it feels like prices are almost out of control. And the real question in that context then is, what will people pay for what ultimately becomes a necessity versus a luxury? And we haven't been faced with those questions too much in the last 15 years. What do you mean a luxury versus a necessity? I need a new mouse pad. What, is that a luxury or necessity? I don't care. I just, I'm going to buy one because they're $4. But as prices go crazy for things, we will get clearer and clearer on the use of our money for basics. And uh, it just feels like it's a very weird position to be in. I'm old enough to remember the 80s and uh, the inflationary times, early 80s, really things got stabilized. But the late 70s, I remember as a kid, gas line and sitting in gas lines in our family station wagon. And uh, those were perilous times and inflation was crazy. And the question is, are we repeating that history? Back in those times, at least in California, where I grew up, you'd have people who had a home that they purchased for $60,000 that then became worth $180,000. And if they were the homeowner, they thought that was amazing. If they were trying to buy a home, they thought that was a massive crisis. The question is, are we in the exact same scenario or something similar? Is history right now. And uh, that will make people f- have a lot of hard choices in their spending. And, uh, and, and and it'll play out for e-commerce sellers again with some winners and some losers. So there you have it. I think it's interesting how the pandemic really tilted the demand side very massively. So mm-hmm. people who were stuck yeah. at home, so travel yeah. goods were decimated, went to like down 80%. Yeah. Other types of goods went at 3x, like home baking. Mm-hmm. It, it mm-hmm. could be other categories that went zooming up when people had money, couldn't leave the house. It could be quite opposite. To, there could be some similar things like loo roll. You're buying mm-hmm. a lot of toilet rolls and pasta seems to be a great hobby in British and, and everyone else is going in empty supermarkets. Um mm-hmm. For some reason, I, I, you can't cook that much pasta in my experience. But anyway, people do it. And uh, <laughs> you know, just, my, my wife did it. And we have just tons of pasta that we're never going to eat. Off. But, but, you know, so if you hear this, yeah. don't bother doing this if you're listening yeah. to this. But joking yeah. apart, there are certain things that seem to be whenever there's a crisis, people reach for them. But then we, yeah. we might find very weird category shifts, mightn't we? Are you willing to hazard a guess as to what those categories might be? Or do you think it's just completely unpredictable? The interesting dynamics at play here are two things in my mind. If prices go crazy and they seem to be the, the, 
the predictions by smart people are that food is going to be a massive inflationary problem and, and world food uh, crisis will ensue. But so if that's true, but also at the same time, there's this dynamic of there are massive deflationary pressures on things like access to the internet or some things are very inexpensive. My personal opinion is that people are going to continue to migrate outside of big cities and they're going to continue to start looking into new things like what's old is new again, like being a hippie that raises your own vegetables in the 70s in California was real, was real common as people would find some land and start growing their own food. And, and that being empowered and enabled by technology is occurring more and more, I think. As an e-commerce seller, I have a brand called The Happy Gardening Life. I focus on that industry or niche and do some influencer work in the gardening space. I think that's going to be a massive winner as a category. And I think things like that, things that empower people to take control of their own food supplies and personal ability to manage their life. I think solar panels and off-grid generators and anything like that enables people to solve some of this basic question for themselves. What is my utility going to be? What is, what is my food cost going to be? People will run to security and safety in those regards. And as an e-commerce seller, are we positioned to help with goods and services? And I think that's a fundamental question. Other things are going to be, be categories that are, are harder to operate in. And I don't have any crystal balls broadly, but I just, you know, I think about those types of things. What will people do in, in a, a challenging inflationary environment where access to cheap products from abroad are uh, harder and harder to come by? And I think yeah. it will look a lot more like uh, home-based living, <laughs> I guess you could say, or not off the, not living off the land, but I think it just, yeah. it, will, it will center people on, wait, can I grow broccoli myself? Can I buy uh, milk from the guy down the, the country road? And yeah. uh, those types of things. And, and to me, I feel like I desire to live that kind of lifestyle anyway, in a way. I've, I think about these things a lot. And whether new people start to think about them because of this, I guess, is pros and cons there. But I think it will be a reality, you know. Interesting. I like that a lot. I like the, the reference history rhymes. Is that Mark Twain said history doesn't repeat itself, uh, but it rhymes. Maybe, there's, a, yeah. there's a lot in that. I think mm -hmm. history is another one of those guys to what will happen in the future. And it's fluffier than geography and dem demography, I think, but it, there's mm -hmm. a, a big hint, should we put it that way. Yeah. So this, the seventies was a time when there was an oil shock that pushed people at global recession in America and in Britain. Yeah. By the way, when America sneezes, Britain catches a cold. Mm -hmm. the, the 1920s recession, which everyone says is so terrible in America, basically brought about Nazi Germany and in Europe. Sometimes some really extreme things happen in smaller countries. Yeah. But so that's one thing that we can expect quite a lot of turmoil. I think the self-sufficiency thing, it makes me think of Britain in the Second World War. People talked mm -hmm. about dig for victory. victory so gardens. Everyone turned their gardens into you know vegetable mm -hmm. gardens. And yeah. so there, there is a lot in that. And I think also then that there's a cultural nuance between, say, America and Europe and and Germany mm -hmm. and UK, where we have a different level of sort of the idea of DIY, self-sufficiency. Mm -hmm. I think Americans have always got this idea that there are fewer there are fewer generations removed from the farm maybe than in the UK, mm -hmm. which was the mm -hmm. first country in the world to industrialize. And yeah. they maybe have more of an attachment to the idea. They have better farmland. I mean, the US has the best yeah. farmland in the biggest quantity in the world. So the idea of buying milk from the guy down the road 
in Europe and in America is very realistic. In fact, mm -hmm. we have a milk surplus. We've had a milk surplus and, and butter surplus in the European Union. It paid for people to not produce butter lake and the milk lake and all that. So that may actually be something that... the milk lakes. Yeah, what? the things that people used to go on about the EU. <laughs> I need to but research that, that further. <laughs> that may actually start to be get to the point where regional producers of things like French you know, butter or whatever, which is mm -hmm. very good quality but expensive for Europeans, mm -hmm might start to be winners and so you'll see as you say weird winners and weird losers and I, I think also the idea of things that empower you to make your own life is a very interesting not only from the supply and sort of practical point of view but from a branding mm -hmm. how does that tie in with millennial aspirations I think there's some interesting overlaps between various trends there that aren't just purely driven by necessity that's, that's a fascinating interesting idea and I think the, the things that are going to be hardest to sell, I, mean, I think anything including electronics is going to be hit by the semiconductor shortage, which has partly come as a sort of con supply constraint post-COVID. But I think it seems to be just not an easy one to solve internationally. And I think with the advent of right. electric vehicle cars, there's yeah. not going to be any lower demand for chips. So I, I think that's going to be one of the things that is really hard to deal with. Yeah, yeah. And also yeah. electronics are going to get expensive and a luxury as well. Yeah, that's so interesting. Well, the cost of them might be declining because of you know, production systems improvements, the shipping and the access to the, to the location, literal trade agreements or whatever with the countries where things can be made simply or quickly are becoming the barriers. While you might be able to produce some electronic super inexpensively in a, Chi a Chinese manufacturing you know, facility, can you, yeah. is there tariff? Is Amazon increasing its costs <laughs> for yeah. selling? And all of those things are fighting against these deflationary components of manufacturing. I think the fundamental thing that I would just encourage everybody to do with just a few minutes left here, because we've got to stop today early, but I would encourage everybody who's listening, who's an e-commerce operator, to dig into basic economics, again, as I jokingly said at the beginning of this conversation, the fundamentals of supply and demand, the fundamentals of pricing strategy. I mean, they're very well-worn and clear textbooks, YouTube lecture series, access to all of the university's lectures are pretty much online now where you can go find out about supply and demand challenges and really dig into the base components of these ideas because it does come down to basic economics and then consumer choice and elements. They'll never go out of style. And in the giddy times where it's like, hey, we can all find stuff cheaply and sell it and make a profit. When those things dissipate and disappear, what you're going to be left with is the bedrock of fundamental economics that you want to really sharpen your skills into and really know at an increasingly expert level, I guess you could say. And there, it's always a good time to brush up on those things, pricing, financials, profit and loss statements. Uh, those elements of businesses are always good things to lean into in uncertain times, in my view. Yeah, I could not agree more. And and I would say, they say bad habits breed in good times. And that mm -hmm. probably means a lot of us have got quite slack about a lot of basics of business that in a commodity-based business, you would never have the, the chance to be slack on. Or if you've been forged in the fires of a, a recession at some point, you've learned the hard way. And I guess a lot of us are going to be forced to learn. So yeah, the more you can get ahead of that learning curve that you're going to be forced into anyway, I believe, mm -hmm. the more of a competitive advantage it is as well. And it's not very visible or sexy 
as opposed to shuffling up your image work or, or learning to do Facebook ads or something. But I think understanding the fundamentals of economics is one of the strategy level competitive advantages, which yeah. is hard to beat. Jeff yeah. Bezos, one of the reasons he's built an incredible machine is, A, he saw a, a trend coming, which he jumped on, you know, with both hands, or bad mix of metaphors. But the other one is that he was super, super savvy about economics. And that came from his days in Wall Street. So I think it's not yeah. a coincidence. Yeah. Strategic thinking and economic understanding go together. I think yeah. so. I'd love to take it. Oh, hello, I'd love to take a tiny bit of time next episode to dive a bit more into some practical responses mm -hmm. that are yeah. a bit more immediate. But I think, uh, if nothing else, go away and studying economics is a great takeaway. Couldn't agree. Yeah, and I have a book on uh, pricing principles on Amazon. I refer you to where I try to summarize much of this for small business owners, e-commerce sellers. I also love the book by William Poundstone, Priceless: The Myth of Fair Value. You mentioned now uh, a couple books by Peter Zion in today's conversation. I mentioned the Ray Dalio book, Principles for Surviving a Changing World Order. His new book that'll scare you to death, and these books are great resources for understanding the conditions we find ourselves in. And I. I really challenge you to dive into him. I'm going to get into the Peter Zion literature. You've mentioned him r a few times and I have never uh, picked up the book yet. And, and so I want to do that and uh, go deeper into that component of these, these ideas. Yeah, they're very good books. I think uh, if you like history or politics uh, at all, not really politics, no, that's not relevant, but history or geography, um, then you'll find them fascinating. And uh, yeah, I think the power of fundamentals is what we're referring to today, isn't it? Economics, uh, geopolitics, mm -hmm. understanding this stuff may seem like, why would I bother until the drama kicks off? And then you go, I really got to get this. So I think mm -hmm. now's the time, isn't it? Yeah, um, for sure. Say, so first of all, take, thanks for, for taking time. I know you've got to dash um, to talk this thing through. Fascinating topic. The other thing is, if you're listening to this and you're enjoying it, don't forget to find us on the call-in show. Our deep dives happen uh, once a week and we have the hot takes with our panel with Chris Green and Kyle Hamer as well. And also, of course, we're available on Spotify and Apple. And don't forget to subscribe to the show. That was the e-commerce leader podcast with Michael Vesey in London, England. And Jason Miles in Seattle, Washington. If you liked this content, don't forget to subscribe to the show on your podcast app. For free resources, including PDFs and videos on topics like traffic, products and sales channels, just go to www.theecommerceleader.com. No hyphens, just as it sounds. Thanks so much for listening.